Welcome to the sermon podcast from North Decatur United Methodist Church, where all are welcomed and included, connected with God and with one another, and sent out in service and invitation to the world. Each week we bring you the most recent sermon from me, Patrick Fallhaber, or from guest preachers. Thank you for listening and subscribing. I was 13 years old, the first time I felt the presence of God. Not the presence of God, but the presence of God. The time stops inexplicably and the world seems to fall away around you. Presence of God. The this experience is so foreign your body and mind don't know what to do presence of God. The, I know that if I take one step closer to that tree, that bird will start talking to me and it will be the voice of God, presence of God. The, I don't know if I hope I'm wrong about the bird and just crazy or right about the bird, presence of God. The not wanting to find out, running away, Regretting your choice, turning back five seconds later, and the bird has vanished. Presence of God. It's hard to explain what that presence feels like. It's a little different every time, but it's always something. Alien, maybe? They say mystical experiences are impossible to describe, that you can only know if you know, which is like mostly wrong. But all that to say, if you have no idea what I just talked about or what Ezekiel was talking about, you are correct. (laughs) Let me set the scene. Ezekiel is a priest, or he's the son of a priest. He's just turned 30 which is when he should be preparing for his own ordination. But instead, he spent the last four months waiting out a siege his city is doomed to lose. The empire of Babylon sacks Jerusalem, kills the king and installs a puppet, and takes countless captives hostage, including Ezekiel. He should be starting the record of his prophecy, standing in the temple, being surrounded by the Holy Spirit as his own family members officiate his ordination service. But he's not. He's standing by a riverbank in Babylon, staring miles away toward home wondering how he and his community can possibly go on living and pick up the pieces. Making sense of what had happened in the fall of Jerusalem was difficult for everyone. It felt like the end of the world for everyone in the city. But for Ezekiel, there was a whole other layer His entire life and livelihood as a priest 
revolved around the idea that the world was ordered by God and predictable, that God cared for the people and protected them in battle, and that the holiest place on earth, the place where God chose to live on earth, was the temple in Jerusalem. And now, Ezekiel would never become a priest, would never even go home. The world had turned to chaos. God had not protected the people in battle, and the place where God lived on earth was now miles and miles away. Everything Ezekiel had known, not just his life in Jerusalem, but his entire understanding of the workings of the universe had gone up in smoke when the city burned. And God seemed to have abandoned them all. It's hard to figure out where God is when the world is upside down. When a massive empire invents reasons to invade a smaller neighbor. When violence only ever seems to get worse and not better. When people in power seem only to serve themselves when even going to school doesn't seem safe anymore. And then there's the battles we fight inside ourselves, in our own minds, the depression that shuts down our ability to feel God beside us, the, the trauma that tries to convince us that God is angry at us or even blames us for our pain, the imposter syndrome that makes it easier to believe other people are worthy of grace than ourselves. Maybe you don't have trouble finding God in those kinds of moments, and I hope you don't. But I know I do. Ezekiel did. Most of the people in Israel did at that time. And I will say, some of Ezekiel's ideas about where God is and all of this are kind of problematic. Sometimes his trauma brain won and the picture got warped. But sometimes it didn't. The second time I felt the presence of God was years after. I had forgotten about the bird. I had taken too many classes in college. I had learned how to sword fight. I'd gone to seminary. My first year of seminary, I lived in the building that was between the dining hall and the chapel. And sometimes in the evenings, I would go from the one to the other for just a moment before starting my homework. I wouldn't even pray, really, not with words, anyway. See, I was recovering from trauma, though I didn't know it at the time. And sometimes finding words for things was hard. Sometimes feeling God was hard. But I could go to the chapel and know God was there. Nothing big, nothing dramatic. Just a moment alone in the quiet and the darkness. Sometimes 
God breaks in when you least expect it. You see, one day I went to the chapel on autopilot. I was tired, occupied with homework, more to-do list tasks on my mind than awareness of my surroundings. Until I took one step into the sanctuary, like other foot still in the narthex, one step, and I was suddenly confronted, overwhelmed. It's hard to find the right verb, but I was suddenly aware of this immense, overwhelming sense of presence. It was honestly terrifying, like a part of me thought I was going to die, but I remembered the bird. Okay, like, I don't know that the bird would have actually started talking to me when I was 13, but that's what I remembered, and I was like, I might die, but I'm not running away from the bird again. So, I took a deep breath, and I stepped into the shadows of the sanctuary and had one of the most profound experiences of my entire life. To be honest, I survived recovering from trauma because of the conversation I had with God on that evening. I wish I could say that God shows up like that every time we need it. I wish I could say that everyone who's ever wanted to have a vision or a mystical experience gets to have one. Apparently it doesn't work like that, and I wish I could tell you why, but I have no idea. But it doesn't have to be something big. Sometimes it's just a conversation with a friend. Sometimes it's just a moment in the rain. Sometimes it's a page of your favorite book. Sometimes God shows up. Sometimes when everything is working against you and when your brain can't let you feel God right beside you, despite the fact that you're screaming into the void looking for God, sometimes God shows up. Sometimes God breaks the heavens. Time stops and the world falls away and the miracle happens. Did you know it was priests like Ezekiel who wrote the first creation story? The one with the seven days and the dividing this from that and the God saw it was good. The second creation story has God working in the mud, creating hand, handiwork in the garden. But the first chapter is all about the power of God to tame the chaos. With just a word, everything falls into its proper place, into neat little boxes. Light gives meaning to dark. Land gives meaning to sea. Sky gives meaning to earth because the separation leaves room for each to thrive as itself. There's a theory that God basically drew in infinity to leave space for us to live. And that's the origin of free will. 
This creation story is actually the origin of all those ritual laws that are boring to read. Oftentimes, we think of ritual purity as just this thing that keeps some people in and some people out, and it very much can be that. It can be a tool of power. But at its heart, the way the priests thought about it was as a way of participating in creation, in the power of God. By moving through the categories of the world, they moved as God did in the first days, through the categories of the universe. Crossing those boundaries, everyone goes through multiple stages of life. It's a daily participation in the work and power of God, a daily recreation of the world. That is why after Babylon sacks Jerusalem, Ezekiel's life is so upside down. It's not just that he can't find God in the temple anymore. It's that the way he knew to participate in God's work, to connect with God, to move through creation the way God did, was no longer available because the order of the world had turned to chaos around him. It felt like there was no way to connect with God anymore. And so he stands on a riverbank trying to figure out how to understand God and himself and the world, and God breaks in. God tears the heavens and comes into exile with the Israelites, leaving the holy place where God was supposed to live. Ezekiel sees this happen and has no idea how to describe what he's seeing. First, he can't figure out what the gender of the creatures is. If you read it in Hebrew, it's even worse. But he basically, within a single word, will switch back and forth because he has no idea. His words get all tangled up around him, trying to figure out if the cloud is inside the fire or the lightning or the creatures or what's inside of what, what's swirling around what, what's touching what and how, and are the wings for each of the faces or for each of the creatures, and how do they fly if they're touching each other, and what is happening? Everything is some kind of gemstone or fire or weather pattern, and none of it makes sense. And the whole thing, not just the person on the throne, but the whole image is summed up as the appearance of the likeness of the glory of God. This is Genesis 1 transformed, even the same number of verses. The spirit of God, the wind from God, moves over the waters. The storm wind carries the divine throne into exile. There is this creation of all the things, light and dark and the flaming heavenly bodies, the earth and the the creatures that live on it. There are these creatures who are kind of metal and kind of fire and kind of something, and each of their faces is a part of creation. Humans, wild animals, 
domestic animals, birds. God decides to make us in the divine image and likeness. This whole vision is the divine image and likeness. This is what I find so beautiful about this admittedly bizarre chapter of Ezekiel. God doesn't come to Ezekiel to fix the chaos. God doesn't even come to Ezekiel in the midst of, despite the chaos. God shows up as chaos and completely rewrites what creation can look like. Because that's what Ezekiel needs. That's what he needs to be able to tell his community. The world does look different. Creation has erupted into chaos, and God comes to tell them that that doesn't mean they are without God. It would be dishonest for God to pretend that they weren't absolutely surrounded by chaos. Even if God had showed up and fixed the perception of the world, they would have still been stuck in Babylon separated from some of their family who were left behind, waiting for another battle where Jerusalem got sacked again and the temple got destroyed and more hostages were taken. Instead, God shows up. The good news of Ezekiel's vision is that God is never limited to the stories we have already seen God in. The chapter ends with this image of the rainbow, the symbol of the first covenant that God makes not with just the dynasty of David, not with just the family of Abraham, not even with just humans, but with the whole creation. It's an assurance that there is always something more that God is doing that we cannot see. And so when you get to a point in life where you feel like you have been thrown out of God's story and you have no access to it anymore, it turns out you're just in another part of the story. This chapter, strange as it is, is a promise that God can and will show up, even if we can't see it, even if we can't feel it, no matter where we find ourselves and no matter whether we know it's happening. If we have to leave the temple behind, God will pick up the divine throne and fly it into exile with us, spectacularly. If we can't figure out how to walk through the chaos of our lives, God will come to us in our midst and lead us forward in a pillar of cloud and fire, like in the Exodus. If some of us who are called cannot be ordained in our holy places, God will show up and make us prophets nonetheless. And so my prayer for you is that in those moments when the world is chaos, 
that you know that God is there anyway. Moving the spirit over the waters to create life. Whether it looks like what you've always known. Or whether it looks like something totally new. May it be so. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this week's sermon from North Decatur United Methodist Church. If you like this podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. And if you want to learn more about our church, you can visit us at ndumc.org. Thank you.